Hello and good day, beautiful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing amazing. I'm sending you all of my love, prayers, well wishes to you, your family, and to everybody you love. We've got an absolutely outstanding episode of the show for you today. We have Andrew McConnell on, and we are talking about his new book, Get Out of My Head, creating modern clarity with stoic wisdom this is a phenomenal episode we go into a lot of practical tools we talk about stoicism giving over your rented mind uh, getting pulled by the world Uh, we go into alan watts we talk about the learning progression values practice gap why lowering the bar can help the balance of vision and appreciation Uh, the champion's paradox why everything is processed the suffering decision tree and so much more this is a very powerful and practical episode so i know you're going to enjoy it and if you do please share this episode far and wide please consider leaving a review on itunes and also on spotify spotify has now just recently opened up to review so if you can take a moment and do that that really does support the show it helps get the word out there with you know supporting amazing guests like this and amazing content that we're bringing for you um as always the best way to support the show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world and for those of you guys who want to work with me and you want to learn how to design a life from your highest and most uh, most authentic parts of you while overcoming limiting beliefs and learning how to design it and create a business and create a livelihood around that just hit me up matt at zenathlete.com i'd love to hear from you work with you and just support you living and creating your dreams so matt at zenathlete.com or mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and if you want to look at some of the programs just go to zenathlete.com there's also the quantum heart hypnosis is very powerful a lot more people are picking that up these days and also the soul compass journey so there's a lot of tools and resources for you that all really revolve around you designing your life from your most authentic parts of who you are and then learning how to engage in the process of mastery and uh, connection with god as you engage in this process it's a very beautiful pursuit so that's it let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive into the show wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, empowerment, faith, courage, and get ready to enjoy this amazing episode with Andrew McConnell. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Rented. Through ancient philosophy, he has found an interesting relation between one's mind and real estate concepts, and he now helps others to get out of their rented headspace to become the owners of it. He is the author of Get Out of My Head, Creating Modern Clarity with Stoic Wisdom, which guides readers into acquiring clarity, conquering obstacles, building resilience, and improving their performance through optimization techniques. Welcome to the show, Andrew McConnell. Thank you so much, Matt. It's great to be here. I'm excited for this interview. Um, this book looks great. I love stoicism. I like the practicality of it, especially you know going into philosophy and optimization. I like it to be practical. And almost every time I visit stoicism or I read about it, it seems like something that I can understand and then apply. Uh, so I love that. I'm excited to dive into this book and this work, but let's get started by just introducing yourself to the audience about your journey and what brought you to writing the book. Yeah. So Andrew McConnell, my 
My journey has been a bit of a winding one. You know, grew up, uh, I was a swimmer all through college and even into grad school, swam, uh, thought I was going to be a lawyer, didn't end up sticking with that. I <laughs> did two law degrees, did the bar exam, but then never went and practiced and went into consulting, worked for really big companies for a long time, and then thought, well, it'd be more fun to go start my own. And so for the past just over 10 years now, I've been starting businesses, uh, most recently sold rented.com in November last year. So, uh, you know, just kind of going one thing to the next. And the book really came out of COVID, uh, to be quite honest. It was stimulated from a, a conversation that I was having with a friend from back in college that we can talk about a little bit, and then sent me down a rabbit hole of research that I, I realized learning is a pretty selfish act if you're not doing something with it. Uh, doing something to help others. And so thought, how can I help others? How can I share all this stuff that I'm learning? And putting in book form seemed like the, the best way to do it. So that led to writing the book and getting it out there and doing some podcasts and sharing some of the things that I've learned. Oh, I love that. Well, it's a, it's a concise um, summary you share because rented.com seems like a big deal. So it sounds like <laughs> you did really well with that. So you know, you've done really well as an entrepreneur which is great. So good for you. And I love what you talked about learning being a selfish act because David Lombear, he used to have these star teachings. He's one of uh, my Native American teachers. He used to say that one of the star teachings is to practice one, what you know, and the other one is to share what you know. And I just love the simplicity of that, right? We can really master something, but are we passing it along? And being a coach and being a, an athlete, um, you see that in coaching programs, or at least it's yeah. my world, right? It's like passing that down to the kids is the most beautiful thing, right? You get your turn and it's usually a mentor that helps you. So I, I love that you um, decided to do that, to put it in the book. So with your book, there's a lot of concepts in here. We can kind of go into a, a lot of... Um, detail, but what made you want to write about stoicism? Was this your own journey of like, like, wow, this is the most meaningful stuff that I'm learning. And I really want to synthesize. I can't say that word. You say it for me and you don't synthesize. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you captured it really, really well with what you just talked about, about uh, doing it and sharing it. Because uh, you talked about starting with philosophy and you can have these armchair philosophers that you you talk about it, you write about it. But a real philosopher, if you talk about stoicism, is someone who lives it. It's a practice. You're practicing every day the philosophy. It's it's not about just you know these ideas. It's about how you embody it in your life. And then the next phase of that is then how do you go teach others about it? And so stoicism, I, I probably came to a little late. Uh, maybe compared to some others, right? It was following Tim Ferriss, and then you learn about Ryan Holiday, and you kind of go down these paths. And what really triggered it for me was when kind of March of 2020, when the world was shutting down, or like we never knew when we're reopening, everything going on. I was talking to a friend of mine who had founded one of the biggest real estate companies in the world, uh, went public, was trading at more than 20 billion. Then he left and started the biggest real estate venture capital firm. And so he's investing in all this real estate space. And we were talking about what was happening in the world and how it kind of played into his businesses. And he said, you know, I'd go and start that business on rentals all over again, because 
we now, with what's happening, are going to have a generation of perpetual renters. And what he meant was these people had gotten wiped out with the financial crisis. They were just getting their feet under them and then COVID's hitting and the markets are getting wiped out. And now we're getting inflation. You can't get a mortgage, like all these things just hitting these people that didn't do anything wrong, right? Like they could have been trying to save, trying to do everything right. But because of the circumstances around them, they were never going to be able to afford to own their own home. They were going to be perpetual renters. And I, I kind of took that concept and, and was just ruminating on it. And then I started looking around and thought, wait, that, that is a problem, a generation of perpetual renters. But the bigger problem we're facing is we have an entire society of perpetual mind renters, people who give their mind to social media, give their mind to the news cycle, give their mind to Netflix and their time. And they feel at the end of the day, I never got to think about what I wanted. I never got to do what I wanted because they gave ownership of their time, their mind, and their life to other people, and then just rented back the pieces that were left after everybody else took their share. I said, well, that's that's a way bigger problem than owning a house, right? And it, it applies to everybody, not just this generational group between 20 and 40 or whatever, right? Like it's everybody's having to deal with this. And so that put me down this path of why is that? Like, why is everybody doing this? Is this this new thing? Is it because of social media that this is happening? Is it because of what data creation? And what I learned was actually, no, it, it it is as old as humans and it gets back to evolutionary biology, right? You think about humans have been around 300,000 years. Well, 298,000 of those years, we weren't in cities. We were hunters, gatherers, we're nomads. And how our brains evolved were to bring in 11 million bits of data per second. But our brain still back then, 300,000 years ago and today is only able to process 50 bits. And if you think about what 50 bits get processed, right? You're back in the savannas. You're looking at this beautiful, right? Like now I'm looking out the window. I'm looking out beautiful ocean in front of me, this lovely sunset, right? Like they could be in the savannas or looking at giraffes and all this, the, the watering hole. And they hear a rustling on the side. Well, what if it was the stop and smell the roses person? It's like, I'm not going to get distracted by that. I'm going to sit and enjoy the beauty of the moment. That worked nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100. But that one time it didn't work because that was a lion, they got eaten and their genes didn't come down to us. We did not get the stop and smell the roses genes. Or what if it was, you heard the rustling, but you're an optimist. You're like, look, 99 times out of 100, it's a meerkat. It's not a lion. I'm not going to worry about it. Again, all it took was that one time in a hundred and they got eaten. Their genes did not come down to us. So in the wild, when you have predators coming at you, it, it is true only the paranoid survive. Those are the genes we got. Those are the brains that evolved. The, the 11 million bits coming at you, we take the 50 bits that are the worst case scenario, and then we extrapolate to, okay, what's the worst possible thing that could happen from this story that we created? And that was a problem you know, back in Seneca's time, 2000 years ago, which is why you had those ideas coming out. That was a problem 2,500 years ago with Siddhartha. Buddhism has a lot of the same concept. 2000 years ago with Lao Tzu, with Taoism, a lot of the same concepts coming through. And it's only more prevalent now when every single day we create more data than all of human existence prior to the year 1900. So you think of every podcast, every TikTok video, every YouTube video, every book written, every 
blog post posted, all that data that's getting thrown at us, we're still only able to process 50 bits. And it tends to be the worst 50 bits that we focus on. And so that just sent me like, okay, wow, now what do we do about this? And that's where stoicism for me ended up being this really practical framework. Hey, there is solution to this. People have thought through this and here's a very practical way. And so that's how the book was written is not just, okay, here's a bunch of ahas. Cause right. You can read these kind of books and you feel really good. You're like, yeah, I'm jazzed. And then the next day you pick up another book and nothing changes and it's all the same. And so the, the book is really structured with, Hey, here's the science behind it. Here's the, the philosophy behind it. Here's illustrations from all different walks of life, from Olympians, from Navy SEALs, from the founder of DocuSign, from social activists, from artists, right? Whatever clicks with you, all these illustrations from amazing people. Uh, I tell my own story in there. And then it closes with practical exercises for every single one. Here's a worksheet. Here's a template that you can now start using to go implement, to make change in your life, to move from renting your time, renting your mind, renting your life to owning the only thing you ever could ever own in the first place. Wow. Well, that sounds awesome. I love the idea of templates. And I also love the idea and the concept of rented space because we live in a very distracted society, right? There are infinite things from you wake up when you wake up to distract you, your phone, your alarms, your task list, whatever. And I've often related that idea to task list consciousness. You wake up with the alarm and then you got to get your coffee ready. Then you got to get out the door to work. And then you got all your lists to do at work. And then when you're done work, you got all your family stuff to deal with. Right. And so the lists kind of never end and you're being pulled, right? You're not creating, you're not designing, you're being pulled because that's what'll happen if you don't design your life yourself. And if you don't have, if you're not mastering your own mind, you can master your own mind and be in that situation. And once you learn to do that, then you can begin to affect changes in the areas that you want to upgrade. And you can also find powerful and uh, empowering perspectives that will help dealing with that situation and make it more palpable and maybe even enjoyable as you go through the process to get to your next level. And you talk about in the book, which I, I like the idea of, and I'd love for you to dive into is getting out of or getting out of your head into clarity, focus, and mind ownership, because many of us are not there. We're in distraction, yeah. we're in overwhelm, and we're in anxiety. And I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes back very much to what you just talked about. We're getting pulled. We feel we're getting pulled. I wake up with all these obligations, things I have to do, and then I'm trying to squeeze in the things I want to do. And so one of the tools in the book is this concept of a zero-based budget for your time. So how financial budgets, a lot of companies do, they look at last year's budget and then they adjust. They're like, oh, well, marketing, we need to spend this a little bit more. Technology, we need to invest this more. Oh, this, we need to cut by this much, right? It's all tweaking on the edges of what already exists. If you do that with your time, with your day, then you are renting the pieces left because you've already filled it with whatever else somebody set those priorities. Somebody else created that design. <clears throat> a zero-based design says, I don't care what happened in the past. I'm going to start from zero. I'm going to define what it is I want to get to, right? Our life is just a sum of our days. So what is the day that I want my day to look like because of what I want my life to look like? 
how much time do I want to spend sleeping? How much time do I want to spend on devices? I'm going to define how much time in mind I want to give to a device or with my family without a device or to work, right? And and it's these two buckets because you have your time where you physically are, and then you have your mind because you could say, oh, I allocated this hour to be with no device away from work with my family, but you're sitting there and your mind is just thinking back to work. Well, how did that work out? Right. You you just you still gave your mind away, even though your time you said you gave to your family. So you need to make sure the two match. So you create that zero-based design to create the day and the life and the week and the month, whatever kind of time period you want, of around what it is that you want. How much time exercising, how much time on the slopes, like each of those things. And then you have to make sure it adds up because even billionaires only get 24 hours a day. They only get 168 hours a week, right? us normals and them, we all get the same amount of time. So we have to still budget to that time. And if you find it's not adding up, you have to start working through your priorities and you have to be clear what your priorities are. Can you say, oh, I have to do this. I have to go do this for work. Well, do you? And if you feel you have to, is it because you value money and stability more than freedom and flexibility, right? That's that's showing, hey, here's actually a higher value. I don't have to do that. I'm choosing to do that because those things I value more than this other thing. And if I don't, well, maybe I don't have to do that stuff for work. Maybe a, a different job's right for me. Maybe I don't need that trade-off, right? To, to take on that responsibility and earn that amount of income. Am I valuing that more than the flexibility or something else? And so you have to be clear, but you have to ask those questions. Nobody else can ask those for you. And so you create that zero-based design, and then you don't just put it on paper once, but every week you look at the week ahead and say, hey, does my next week look like this? Is this how I said I wanted to live? And if it doesn't, let me start adjusting my schedule. And, And you redo that. Maybe it's on a monthly basis. Maybe it's quarterly. Maybe it's annually. But you have to redefine it because you change. You know, There may be a period of your life where you say, Look, I got to get my feet under me. I, I really do value that financial security. I'm going to get the nest egg and that's that's my value. That's how I'm going to structure my time this way for now. And you may get a year, two years, five years down the line. You say, okay, now I have kids. Now I have this nest egg. I, I value the time more than the money in a different way. And so I need to readjust what I'm going to allocate to each bucket. But it has to be you asking those questions and answering those questions for yourself. Absolutely. I love that. It reminds me of this quote and this talk that Alan Watts had where he talks about college and university students asking him what he should do for what they should do for a career. And he would always ask them, what would you do if money were no object? And this is just getting clear on who you are, what's most important to you, how you want to design your life. And when you do that, at least you're aware of why you're making the choices you're making, whether it's go to the job and there's nothing wrong with going and having a stable job. And with that stable job, you might prioritize for a period of time, your health or getting better at sport or a hobby or making a side business or transitioning into a business that has more purpose by your own definition. And that might take a year or two years. But as long as you're coming back to your clarity and your guiding principles, you can know 
that you're applying your will and your thought and your energy to meaningful matters and you're figuring out how to live here, which is challenging for all of us. So it can be both. And I think that's so important. And one of the, do you want to comment on that? Go ahead. I, I do because that question to Alan Watson and how he's answering it and far be it for me to, to disagree with some of the stuff is it's not a single time you need to ask that question and answer it because 25 year old you, it, it is too high a bar at any age to say, the career for the rest of my life. What what is the right answer for all time? Because you do that, then 10 years down the road, you are still a mind and time renter. You're just renting from a prior version of yourself that doesn't exist anymore. You are a different person. The world around you is different. And so you need to go in and ask that question afresh on a regular cadence because we're all growing, whether we are proactively investing in our growth or not, we're all growing, we're all changing. And so you have to go back and re-ask that because you want to live the life of you today, not some prior version of you that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. That's a great insight. And these processes, it's a practice, right? You're, you, I think you said at the beginning of this, you're a practicing stoic. And I liked when I went to Nepal, they said, we practice Buddhism. We have to practice kindness and compassion. And one of my friends recently said he was a practicing Christian. And I really like that because it's a different thing. You know, you can choose, uh, you have to choose these things, you know, in Buddhism, you have to choose kindness when someone is a total prick and it's hard a lot of the time. Right. And you might mess up that choice, but you got to come back and you got to revisit that just like with your life principles, what's most important to you is going to evolve over time. And so engaging with these solid questions over and over again, as a part of how you navigate your life, just like your health and other things, it's going to evolve over time. And it's also going to refine. And if you think about the analogy of a railroad track, you know, if you've got like a millimeter or centimeter off, well, and you got the other one going a different direction, well, over a kilometer, that's going to become a big difference. Then over 10 miles, it's going to be even bigger. And that's your day to day. So you want to refine that direction as much as you can. The analogy that I gave is like, you're at the, you're at sea. And most people are just going along with the schools of fish or whatever society's doing to get them there, right? And you start to design your own reality. And so you start to venture off into the open ocean. And as you um, get clear with how, where you're steering your ship and your internal compass, you'll hit an island. You'll have experiences there. You take all that and then you re recalibrate where you want to go based on that. It's going to line yeah. up with who you are. Yeah, it, 100%. I mean, the, the practice thing as well, I think it's a really important one because a lot of times I'll, I'll give these talks or I'll give a presentation to people. Okay. So then how do you solve this? Right. Okay. So if, if you eat well, you eat really healthy for a week, does that mean you have cheeseburgers the rest of your life? No, because you crushed it one day in the gym. Does that mean you don't exercise ever again? Right. This is a thing you have to keep practicing on and investing it. It's not this one time and I'm good for all time. Again, this is something you have to work at and practice and it becomes easier, right? You become better at noticing, oh, oh yeah, I'm letting my mind get away from me. I, I, I told myself I want to be here with my family, but I'm worried about this presentation tomorrow. Let me steer myself back. And maybe initially you don't notice until afterwards. You're like, man, I don't even know what my wife just said tonight. Like I, I totally wasn't there. And then next time maybe 30 minutes in, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, wait, 
no, let me get here. And then you can get it down and to five minutes to, okay, 10 seconds in. Nope. I noticed where my mind's going. Let me get back here to the present. But it, it is, it's a practice. And that that's why it has the worksheets because you have to go work on it. You know, this was, my wife gets a little mad. She's like, you're not Buddha. Like, who are you to write this book? What are, what are you doing? You're not perfect. Like, I know, right? That's why I have all these exercises. That's why I practice this all the time. And I, I'm not Buddha, but I'm a lot better than I was five years ago and 10 help other people on that journey to keep getting better. Then I feel like it's my obligation to do so. Yeah. And it reminds me of the stages of learning, which are, uh, unconscious incompetence you're unaware that you can do the thing then there's conscious competence like driving a car and you really got to concentrate then there's uh yeah unconscious or conscious incompetence right so you're trying to do it and you suck at it then there's conscious competence where you can do it uh and then there's unconscious competence where you could just drive the car and not think about it and with these right. mindset tools you can integrate them and that's what we're speaking with integrating them in your way of being so i go to the gym all the time i value my health i value uh, being good at sport because I love it. And I want to see what I'm capable of doing. And I'm always learning and I'm always applying. I'm always learning. I'm always applying. It's both, but it's integrated in my way of being with my health, with what I'm able to do, but it's a constant process that I choose to engage in. And I feel like in the mental world, a lot of people are struggling with anxiety and overwhelm and depression. And with these tools, uh, it's one thing that I've kind of noticed uh, in the festival circuit where these people will come out in the festivals and they are spiritual as spiritual can be. You got the guy on stage, he's talking about all these things and then adversity happens. And then all of a sudden they forget their same, their basic teachings of like kindness or compassion or whatever. They turn into these people that I was like, yo, yesterday you're just talking about you know, compassion <laughs> right. and, and being this enlightened being. And now you're in this you know, adversity. And I feel like that's where our training comes in. And that's what they teach you in martial arts and in these other forms of tougher training, which I really value. It's like, you know, who are you when the chips are down? Who are you when things are stressful? Who are you when it's all gone to total crap? Can you apply some of these principles? And I'd be curious your take on being able to find peace when it's all hunky-dory and all uncertain and challenging. Yeah. So, I mean, that's again, that's one of the chapters, one of the tools in the book is this values uh, practice gap and how do you bridge that gap? So being really clear on those values, is it the the equanimity that I, it, it's this value? I want to be the kind of person that can just be the calm in the storm. And then identifying when was I really successful at this? When am I not successful in it? What, what, what did I do differently? What did I think differently? How did I behave differently in those successful times versus those unsuccessful times? And really start probing, asking the five whys into it and developing that playbook so that you have a script when you're put in those situations to go back to it. Because it's one thing to say, I want to be this kind of person. And you know, if it's 60% difficult, maybe I'm really good at being that kind of person. When it's 70%, maybe I start not being so good. When it's 80%, maybe I completely fall apart. And so you don't know how to get better at that 80% time or the 90% time or be ready for the 99% time if you don't start diagnosing what broke down. Why did I break down? How can I put things into place? What are the triggers that I can look for? What are the questions I can start asking myself? What are the exercises I can do 
to get better at being the person that is the person I want to be, the life that I want to live, the role model I want to embody for my family. Absolutely. I love that. And you go on a little bit further to talk about decision-making and this leads into, you know, optimization and peak performance and, you know, how do we use these techniques or philosophies to just make better decisions, right. To improve. So there's kind of two sides of this. I think the one side is we're struggling, we're an anxiety and depression and how do we get out of that. But once we're out of there, we got a little bit of clarity. It's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where if you don't have safety and shelter and security, it's really hard to think about self-actualization, enlightenment, right. peace, you know, infinite possibilities, building your dream life because you're right in the dungeon. You, you're not high enough to see over the wall where you got a, you know, uh, some, I don't know, magnifying glass or what, what the heck, telescope. Telescope. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us what, what, what's the thing with the two eyes? What's that called? Binoculars. Jeez, binoculars. Holy smokes. Yes, binoculars. And you can see far and wide and you begin to, you see the beach, you see the mountains, you see all these different possibilities and that's beautiful. So uh, I threw a lot of questions kind of at you. It's more like a comment, but you do talk about improving your performance as a leader, you know, and, and being an entrepreneur and optimizing your mindset. And then there's also the lower side. So does it, is it all about the same or are they kind of different ideas? Yeah, I mean, it does, I think, distill down to some level of really being able to distinguish and understand what you control versus what you influence or can influence versus what you don't have control over and being able to distinguish, okay, what what am I accepting? What am I changing? What am I just leaving? And even before I got into stoicism, there, there was a Tim Robbins book where a character talked about and I couldn't find the quote, but whatever he actually said, this is what I took away. At a certain point in my life, I realized I could be the kind of person who complains about the weather or not that kind of person. Like, wait, I can be that for like I get that choice. And that that's true for every single thing. Am I going to be the kind of person that gets frustrated in traffic or not that kind of person? Am I going to be the person that gets angry when something doesn't go my way? Or am I going to not be that person? We have that power. We, we get to make that decision at every point. And so when you talk about what you control, it is that mindset, right? I get to control the mindset. Now, say you end up in a situation where you can't control it, but you also can't accept it, right? Angela Davis has this amazing quote of, I'm tired. I'm no longer accepting accepting the things I cannot change, I'm now changing the things I cannot accept. And that's where I think a lot of people can take stoicism to an extreme. And it's it's this recipe for complacency, for I'm not touching anything, I'm not doing anything. But that's where there's this middle grade of, I can't control it, but I can influence, right? I can write about it, I can speak about it, I can go march, I can I can work on it, and I can't control what the vote is going to be this time, but I can influence what the vote's going to be in the future by creating a social movement, by speaking about it, educating people, doing all these things. And I think that's where you take it from that very base level of every human, whether you're CEO or you're the entry-level employee, and being able to distinguish those things. Hey, what do I control? Hey, all of us, all of us, all we really control is our mindset. But 
we have this entire other realm that's actually much, much bigger of what we can use that mindset to do to go influence for those things that we want to change. And if it's something like the weather and we say, hey, I'm not going to try to influence it, then you just got to leave it and <laughs> say, I'm, I've decided I'm now going to go back to my mindset and I'm going to decide I'm not going to be the kind of person that complains about the weather. Great. Like I just took that off my plate. I don't, I don't need to be that person. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an important distinction too. Uh, I invite people to look up complain. I did it once. I forget what it is and I'm not going to do it now, but just look it up because you, it's like basically you you know, when you complain, it's like putting attention, energy and focus to what you don't want. And it makes you feel like a victim overall. You know, you mm. can't do anything. You can't, the, I like this Dutch saying that they have is they said, there's no bad weather, just bad clothes. And if we only <laughs> went snowboarding on the good days, which I'm, I told you at the beginning, I have a very frustrating year, first year back in the mountains. And it's a world record breaking crap year of no snow. Well, last year was a world record breaking, amazing year. And it is very frustrating mentally. And I can feel it in my body and it practically just means to go back to what I have, what I'm grateful for. I can, I can stew in that and it'll just make me upset because I, but I could also look about, look at all the things that I have. And then there's this other idea that I think a lot of people are facing in the last few years is they're waking up to a lot of things in the world. They really don't like. And, uh, for me, I've always been curious about some big issues, war, starvation, then I learned about these systems uh, around education and all these other things that I do not agree with and I feel are totally wrong. And maybe some people believe that they're great. I can't change those people. They're welcome to believe what they want. It's a free will world as long as you don't infringe on me and like you know make me do something. Otherwise, I'd be your slave. And so since I'm not, I can choose to create things like this podcast because I remember originally thinking there's so much crap out there. There are no, I'm looking for high quality conversations around meaning and purpose. Unfortunately, not all my buddies want to talk about all the things that I'm interested in. And we can talk about a few things. Then we got to talk about sports and nonsense, which I'm fine with. But yo, I want to talk about like, you know, the meaning of life and how to, you know, be successful and to live a, an important life by our own definitions and, you know, just making the most out of this baby. And, and so they didn't really, they weren't interested in that conversation as much as I was. So have conversations with people like you. So we can then go full tilt into the solutions, right? We see these challenges, we see the frustrations. And if we live in those, uh, it's, it's going to be very defeating. It's going to be very victim-based and you're not creating anything. And in stoicism, they talk about a live time versus dead time as well. And yeah. the dead time is just, you know, ingesting all this stuff. That doesn't, you know, serve you. You're kind of passive or, or hypnotized, essentially, and you could take all of that energy or frustration and build something. So, you know, one thing that frustrates me in the world is uh, people being taken advantage of. Also, um, acts of violence. Uh, being a martial artist, right, especially acts of violence on women, really pisses me off. And so, I could teach about uh, martial arts, or I could teach about empowering women, and I hope. Some of this podcast does that, but I could also go, you know, do a self-defense seminar or something. Yeah. And that way I'm contributing to that power rather than looking at every detail of the thing that really, really irritates me. That's within my control because the other thing isn't. And I feel like that that happens a lot in the mind and then it can create this paralysis in us. And I feel like that's a very troubling space to be in because each person especially if, if they're really bothered by something can be inspired to create a solution. And it, and it, to me, in my 
perspective. It isn't shouting at the bad guys or the opposition. It's growing the thing that you want to grow. Everybody, it's like uh, that movie, I can't remember what it's called, but uh, where everybody in the civilization, idiocracy or whatever. Oh, yeah. And, and every, yeah. They're like, I don't know, using Gatorade or something to grow the plants. You just use water to grow yours. If everybody, if the whole world is going to Gatorade to grow their plants and they're dying, you'd be the person to grow your plants with water and then educate other people who are down to grow their plants with water, the same thing. And I feel like that's one of the big things that have happened is that this, this, challenge is overwhelmed whatever side of the spectrum you're on is becoming big you know yeah and so but finding where you fit in and using that energy wisely to build something because then you're going to be happy with the people you're around and happy with what you're doing because it's a solution that you want to see it's the space you want to be in yeah i mean it, to me it it comes a lot down to lowering that bar Right. Because if, if it becomes too daunting, right. Back to even the Alan Watts question, right. What is my career for the next 60 years? There's no right answer for 60 years, right? What, what if your, your question was for two years or five years? And if, if your bar for, Hey, I can't do anything unless I do everything, unless I address education and violence against women and right like you just have this whole list and i have to address it for all of society for all of time like that's paralyzing but if you can go back through your priorities say okay what i care most about right now what i'm best situated to go impact right now is this and the first thing i can do on this is hey get some of these conversations out in the world because if I get those conversations, I have more people. I then activate an army of people who care about this and now know about this and go do this. Great. Like that's an amazing step. Then now I can use that platform to go do other things. And you kind of build from there. But so many people look at the end goal, like the, the dream, and it seems so far away and so impossible that they, they give up before they ever start. And so you, you have to kind of peel it back enough. You want that dream. You want to know where you're going. This gets back to even rolling back to that question, the, the leadership versus just the base level. Hey, you want that big vision. You want to be able to pull up and see it. But if all you ever did was sit up there and look there, you're not walking anywhere. You're not going anywhere. You can look up and say, okay, I got it. That's where I want to go. Now let me look down and start navigating that path. What is that first step? How am I going to cross this river? How am I going to get around that mountain? Then I look up again. Hey, I'm on course. Do I need to reroute? Is it still the right same destination or is, have I learned something like that island metaphor you brought before? Is it actually a different island I now want to travel to? It's that constant balancing. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great distinction to bring up is like lowering the bar because it does paralyze people to see, you know, fix everything for everyone forever, right? Or do a small thing. And of all the things that bug you or that are challenging or that you could possibly do, what is the one thing? And in marketing, they do this. They they make a one-click. In, in, in internet marketing, it's like a one-click thing. Because once you do two, right, it's like it's even worse. And three or four or five, six options, then people get uh, you oh, know, yeah. analysis. Paradox of choice. Yeah, they yeah. don't want to do anything. And so that takes time for us to reflect and think, okay, of all these things, what's the thing that I could do? It, yes, this is my big vision of where I'd like to go. And I'm going to do what I can do today. And that's okay. And that's enough. You know, as long as like you'll, as you do the big vision, 
you're going to feel the energy of the inspiration if that's the highest priority because you can't do everything and you can't fix all the problems all the time for everyone for infinity. That's a bigger thing that's not up to you. And when you're going through this process and you take some time to think, to contemplate, then you go, okay, what's my little piece I can do today? Each and each and every day. And people who've accomplished amazing things, that's how they did it. It was brick by yeah. brick every single day. And I've been using the weightlifting analogy recently just because I've been doing more lifting because I haven't been able to snowboard. But I look at people who've been able to deadlift and squat a thousand mother effing pounds, a thousand pounds. It's just absurd. And it's little by little every single day. And then all of a sudden, five, 10 years later, they're doing something where you look at them like, yo, that is like, you're the strongest human being on the planet. How in the world can you lift up a thousand pounds or the business that you have or the impact or whatever it was, it'll be over years of time. Then it's that legacy. Then it's that impact. And it may not be. And I believe you speak about this as well. I think it's getting a clear vision using a uh, going step-by-step each and every day and from a pace, place of peace, contentment, and power, if you can, and surrender to the results. You know, when I do the podcast, I, I said, okay, cool. I'm going to do these and oh, ideally does really well, but it might not. And that's okay. I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to focus on my effort, focus on my mission, focus on my intention. And the result is what it's going to be. It It really comes back for me to something you had said earlier about all the things you want, right? Like the things you're chasing, things you want, and and the contentment, excitement, happiness, and appreciation for what you have, right? Hey, let me pull back and and really appreciate this thing that I have. And so, great, you have this goal of deadlifting a thousand pounds, and you go in and you can't even put big plate on each side of the bar when you first start, right? Like you're you're, you're with twenty five, so you're you're Couple just fivers on the, the side. Like, Everybody's looking right? at you, <laughs> and, and you get you get five years down the road. And you're deadlifting 200. Like, man, I'm a total failure. I didn't get to a thousand. Like, well, okay, let's let's rewind here. Where'd you start? Can we appreciate? I am stronger than where I started. I got further than where I wanted to be. And with something like a podcast, okay, I want to get a million downloads. I want to get ten million dollars. I want to get you know Tim Ferriss creeping up on a billion. Or you get one message from one person that just tells you, look. This is how this impacted my life. This is what changed. And no one can take that away at any point, right? So you can keep chasing the bigger thing, but but being able to step back and appreciate what you already have as well, because if that was taken away, like if, if none of those other things happened, would it still be worth it for this impact that I was able to have? Say, wow, that, that actually is great. I, I didn't, if I hadn't done this, I would have never had that impact. And that could be in business. That could be with your family. That could be with a podcast in the gym, whatever it is. But sure, chase the dreams, but also appreciate where you get at each step on that journey and take that time because that's going to help keep you motivated to chase or realize, hey, maybe that was the wrong dream, but where I am is pretty effing great. Yeah, I love those analogies and they bring up a couple um, thoughts for me. One of them is the quote that comparison is the thief of joy, right? Or yeah. needing to get to that goal. Once I get to that goal, then I'll have the happiness. It really is all in the process. You know, if I'm going snowboarding, it's about an hour away. So I got to wake up. I got to make some food. I get in the car. I drive for an hour. 
finally get to snowboarding. I snowboard the thing, maybe have a couple runs because the first two runs aren't exactly uh, how I want them. Then I get back in the car. I got to take off the boots. I got to get home. I got to be a father. I got to be a husband. I got to be all these different things. And uh, then I'm just thinking about this pinnacle experience, right? My whole day is about this one pinnacle thing when really it was everything. It was the car ride, maybe with my family. It was, you know, making breakfast. It was making dinner. It was being around. It, there's, that's where all of life is. And I've given the example too, with like Alexander Ovechkin being one of the best hockey players of all time. He never won a Stanley cup for a long time. Finally did a couple of years ago. He's going through his whole life from childhood dream is to play in the NHL and then win the Stanley cup. Right. So he's in like 30 something when he finally wins it 30 years of process, he wins the Stanley cup, right? The buzzer ends. Whoa, we, we won. He can be absolutely stoked. Grab the cup, do the whole thing. It's a couple hour process, right? You're like going through it. You're in the locker room. You get champagne. You're going through that, right? And then you're going to stay up with your buddies, drink whatever. You're going to mac. You're not going to sleep till you don't want it to end. So, you know, you're asleep at six in the morning. Next day hits, you're already way down, right? You're still stoked, but you're not at that very pinnacle moment. Right. Then you're right back in the process a day, two days, three days. You're right back in the process. And, and champions and people who leave legacy, they understand that. They know that. And if you can appreciate the whole process, um, that is really, really key. And then you know you're in it for the right reasons. And the other example or story I like to give once I was coaching with someone and I was thinking about something, I said, like, what if like our entire life, like our purpose, you know, was just to help one person one time with one thing? You know, we, we, we are kind to somebody in the store and that person doesn't kill themselves because of our kindness in that moment. And that's the whole reason that we were sent here. Like, could you imagine that was it? Right. And you and, have and what the cascading could be. Cause you don't know who, whose lives that person impacts, what children they have, what they're like it touching that one life has infinite branches off of it. And that's why it just, you can, it, putting a just, just one life is unfair to that one life. Cause you don't know all that stems from that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when we, if we were to do that, right. And do it in a pure way, we don't know the ripple effects that we're having kind of like what you just shared. And what if that's enough, you know, what, what if you're enough now? And that's, you know, the same, same, but different. It's like being an athlete or going for your goals, just be whole, happy, harmonious, full of self-love and worth wherever you are in the process. Cause if you're, you know, my daughter can't really ride a bike right now. She's like three, you're not good enough. Stupid. You can't ride a bike, you know, just shouting at her. Then she can <laughs> take the training wheels off. Right. I'm like, Oh, you're not good enough. You, you know, you got the training wheels off, but you can't go off a jump. Right. So she can <laughs> go off a jump and then, you know, it's, ah, oh, you're not good enough. Cause you, you know, you don't even know basic math. Right. And then she's 12 now and she knows basic math or whenever you learn it. Oh, you're not good enough. Cause you, you haven't graduated high school or, Oh, you're not good enough. Now you haven't done university. Right. But here's the distinction in this story. Once you have college and university, young adults and people think, oh, now you're supposed to know something. But if you've gone through that process, you realize you still don't know shit. And right. then you get into your thirties, you think you're supposed to know something. You still don't know shit. And then you have family. Then you really realize you don't know anything. And so, you know, you think at some point you're going to figure this out, but it's the same level of like kindness and compassion you should give to yourself in the process, just the same way you would for a little girl or boy 
riding a bike, a little girl or boy trying to learn something. I think in the eyes of God is one expression and the eyes of an older person that you're a kid. You're still a kid in your 30s. You're still a kid in your 40s. You're still a kid in your 50s. And and if you speak to any elderly people, they'll know. It's like, we don't. we only know a little bit. This whole thing is a mystery. You're never going to figure it out. And maybe it's how gracefully you can experience the mystery, the adversity, the shortcomings, the challenges of being alive and being okay with uh, giving it your best. And I think the key to this happiness, though, is something that we touched on already is defining who you are and your values and being okay with the result, not being measured by the world, social media stats and likes, the amount of money in your bank account. Um, when I was snowboarding 150 days a year, there wasn't much in the bank account. When I was traveling the world, there wasn't much in the bank account, but I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. And I was stoked because it was what I had defined. And now that I'm a father, my goals are different and I have to clearly define those. It's a new stage. It's a new learning experience. And I'm going to do my best to put my will and intent towards what's more most meaningful to me now and how I spend my days and, and what I do. Yeah, it's, I mean, it all ties together so, so well, right? Like the the process over the result, whether it's a Vetchkin or, or any kind of champion in sports or us in life and you're chasing a money target or a title or a promotion, and there's only one final result in life, definitionally. And we all have it. And it's death, right? Like we all have the same result. And so everything leading up to it is the process. The process is life. And it, it's funny because it, it does come back to brain chemistry on if you're chasing this one thing, Right, you're chasing the Stanley Cup. You get a dopamine spike. I got it. Huge, huge spike. The kind of sad thing with science and our biology is the higher the spike, the lower the low after, and the longer it is. And so that's why people who sell at companies a lot of times are depressed afterwards. Why gold medalists after the Olympics get depressed. They had this huge spike. This was my whole life was building up to this. Well, now I have it. What, what comes after this? What's left? Right. And you get this long low. And so you think about the person trying to get in shape and their goal is to go run this half marathon, this marathon. That's the goal, right? The end result, the end result versus the person who the goal is, Hey, I might run some races every now and then. But my goal is to get out of bed and run each day, right? The process is my goal. After that marathon where the person crosses the finish line, who do you think is more likely to get up the next morning and keep it running? It's the person who the process was their result they were after. They didn't get the huge surge on that dopamine. They didn't delay it, delay it, delay it till that one point and then get that low afterwards. Every morning they got up, every time they started running, they got a little dopamine hit. And they can keep getting that without that fall off. And the more that we can mentally make the process, the process of, hey, I'm not trying to hit this target weight. I'm enjoying the gym or I'm enjoying eating this healthy food. The more we stick with the process, the more we enjoy the process, the more the process becomes the life that we want to create and design and live. 
Absolutely. I love all those analogies. And I think that they're really important for people to just simply try to remember. And again, it's a practice, right? Because we'll forget and then we'll compare and then we'll do all these things that make us feel shitty. And uh, hopefully you have attuned your mind and your consciousness to your default setting being peace, your default setting being joy, your default setting being contentment. And we can be aware of how we're doing by how we feel. And this whole discussion really is an idea of self-awareness. If you feel anxious or you feel depressed or you feel lost, you can stop, you can take a moment and you can use some tools to recalibrate where you are in that moment. You can come back to some gratitude. You can come back to the present moment. You can come back to one of these philosophies where you're like, you know what, this is where I am in the process. Because in the process, you're going to have good days and you can have bad days and you can have in-between days. And this is why I feel it's very valuable for people to engage in a hobby, a sport, or something that really motivates them that they want to master. Because mastery is getting as good as you can be. I've been trying to master snowboarding my whole life, and I'm better than 90% of the planet. However, uh, pro snowboarders are years ahead of me because they are just their own thing. I'm not even close, right? But however, if you, you know, 90% of snowboarders, I just hit the huge jump, you know, 70 footer, and like that thing's massive. It scared the crap out of me, and it was awesome. Wow. It's been a few years since I hit that, but just a straight air, just straight over it, nothing fancy, just try not to die. Pro snowboarder winds up, you know, does a triple cork, whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And if I'm inspired to go do that, I know what the process is to get there. I know what it is because I'm enjoying mastery. And you can do this in music. You can do this in anything. You just have to have a love for it and to get as good as you can. And if it really motivates you, if it really speaks to you, you're going to be willing to go through that process. And as you do it, maybe you realize one month or six months in, it's not that thing. But what I believe will happen is you'll take that idea, that action, that learning, and you'll apply it to something more aligned because you have learned something from that process. And it doesn't just have to be, right, the hobby, the sport, the business, the the mastery or something, right? The mastery you could be after is that equanimity, that I, I want to be a person at peace. And I do think just from conversations, People have this unrealistic expectation, and I won't speak for you, that, okay, yeah, it, it's fine. It's easy for that person, right? Like everything's going great. They're they're good. But I mean, I have my downtimes. I'm just much better at noticing, right? Like, oh, here are the triggers. When I'm down, the colors are more muted. I literally see the world in a more muted tone, and I feel lower energy, and my mind goes to more negative places. And so I just got really good at noticing those triggers on the day. And when I get there and a thought comes in, I remind myself, hey, you can think this thought tomorrow. Like this is not the time to analyze life, right? And go down this downward spiral. You're tired. You're not in a good mood. Just wait, get a good night's sleep. Come back tomorrow. If you still think it's important to think through this, this is not the time to do it. Don't make big decisions right now. Don't think big thoughts right now. Today is about getting through today. Don't make the bar on every day to be a perfect day. 
Like know your limits, right? Like if you woke up and you're, you got tightness or whatever, you're not going to go try to do a personal best on your deadlift that day, right? You, you'd be kind to your body, be kind to your mind too. know your limits, know the signals of when you're ready to deal with stuff and when you're not and take those times out. Yeah, a hundred percent. And again, that comes back to the balance and the process. And that's why I've mostly been safe in my snowboarding because I, <laughs> I probably was a little bit more cautious. I pushed myself and I think Stephen Kotler says it's like flow is at like 4%. And there's some days where I knew I could do a harder trick over big, everything's kind of right. And that was the day to do it. I had the energy and other days I didn't. And that's just listening to your body is engaging with the process. And I feel like that's such an important element to it, right? You can't force mastery. And the thing is, even about mastery is you like with the sports that I've enjoyed, skateboarding, snowboarding, martial arts, um, you can't master it. It is the pursuit of mastery of your own best. That's it, what you're capable of. And so the understanding that it, there's highs and lows and how you engage with that process and, and how you learn to reflect you know, you reflect, you learn, and then you try again is so paramount. And for you being someone who's been successful in business, I'd be curious your thoughts on bringing in like ancient stoicism now, uh, you know, for somebody who wants to apply it to success and have peace. Like, how do we bring that in? Because let's say you have a job, but you don't like it, you know, and you want to transition out of that. Or you know, you're like, I can't be peaceful because I got bills to pay. Okay. And money's tight, but, and I don't know if my job's secure and I don't know if this other thing's going to work out. So how do we apply stoicism to, you know, to, I don't know, have more faith or just deal with this adversity and, 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 you know, over, overcome these mental blocks that we might have, right. Maybe there's self-worth issues, just things like that. Yeah. This was a question I struggled with some rate, right. When the book's coming out and you had the Ukrainian war going on, and like, okay, it's easy for this person that is in business and in the safe environment, and everything to think these thoughts, to think, okay, the things I control versus what I don't. What about someone in that kind of war zone? Their, their home just got blown up. They're, they're having to deal with this. And, and so I, I started playing it out. I was like, okay, well, what is the alternative? The alternative for that person in that situation is to just only get focused on all these things they can't control and spin out and be miserable and not do it. Is that better or is it better for that person? No, this is an awful situation. These are the things I cannot control. I can control my mindset. And like Zelensky, like I'm going to control my mindset and we're going to go fight, right? Like I'm going to go do this. I, I think regardless of the situation, there's still this choice you can make. Am I going to sit here and lament and go, Oh, what was me on all these kinds of things? Or am I instead going to say, wait, I can control my mindset. What are the things completely out of my control? What are the things I can influence? So I got all these bills to pay. Okay. Well, which ones do I really need to pay? Do I need that car? Maybe I could downgrade and go get a scooter instead, right? Like I can get rid of that bill. You, you have levers you can pull. If you think everything's happening to you, then sure, you're, you're a victim. You can't control all that. But if you start rewinding and every single thing say, everything is a choice. Everything is a choice, right? You say, well, no, I, I have to pay this bill. Okay. No, you don't. Maybe you'd go to jail. Maybe it'd kill your credit, but it's a choice. You're saying, I value having good credit 
versus not paying this bill, right? That's fine. But that was a choice. You're, you're making trade-offs. Those are real choices you get to make. Put yourself in that driver's seat and then start deciding what are the choices you're making, but make them for you. And then it's not somebody's forcing you to do this, saying, no, I'm choosing, I value not being in jail versus uh, not paying this bill. Uh, but it, yeah, it, I, I don't, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was kind of following you and then I lost what I was going to say. I was taking notes. <laughs> um, I had like a, a direct follow-up for that one. Um, so since I, it'll come back to me as soon as I ask you another question. Um, so we have this world where we obviously deal with adversity. We have things that we we can control. We have things that we can't control. How do we apply this? Or I, I'd be curious your perspective on just the day-to-day like practice. What's a way that we can integrate some of these philosophies that they become our natural way of being? You know, you sometimes meet people who they just have such a powerful outlook, right? Mm. And no matter how crazy it gets, they've got an outlook that is just powerful and you feel like you're safe around them and they're always looking for solutions. Have you come across anything that allows us to kind of integrate these lessons where we build our resilience to the factors of the world? Because as we grow, the challenges get bigger, right? When you're a kid, you're kind of all coddled and your parents take care of everything. And then you're on your own and you kind of got small problems and you get bigger problems. And I feel like this is ability to deal with adversity and the resilience that really allows us to continue our trajectory and not get just crushed by the challenges of life, you know, and the bigger we can handle these issues, the further we can go. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there are a few different ones. Uh, and, and one I'd probably reference from the book is this suffering decision tree, right? So Seneca has this quote on, we suffer more in imagination than reality, right? There's this pre-suffering of, oh my God, it's going to be so horrible when this thing in the future happens. Okay. So I'm suffering before the things even happen. Or there's the post-suffering. Okay, this horrible thing happens. Now for the next day, the next week, the next month, I'm, oh God, that was so horrible that happened. But the only real suffering happened in the lived moment. Everything else was imagined before and imagined after. Definitionally, the only suffering was in that moment. And then in your head, you're creating all this pre and post-suffering. And so the decision tree takes you through, whether it's pre or post. Okay, if it's pre-suffering, is there anything I can actually proactively be doing to influence this to make it less likely to happen or to not happen at all? Then instead of suffering, let me go get to work and and try to stop this thing that I don't want to happen in the first place. If not, then why do I need to worry about it? Right? It's, It's back to, I can complain about the weather or not. If I have zero control over if this thing happens or not, let me stop thinking about it because I have no control. If I can do something, let me start preparing. On the backside, did I learn anything? Do I want to just sit back and lament that this thing happened? Or is there something I can learn from it and start implementing and doing differently to make it less likely that things like this will happen in the future? But it, it gets back to noticing, okay, where's my headspace? Is this a thing that has happened yet or not? If it's not happening right now, I definitionally am not suffering it. I can only create the suffering in my head. And so where can I put that energy more productively? Absolutely. I love that example. And the first time I heard it was uh, someone using the example of going to the dentist. 
right? You fear going to the dentist for weeks, right? Then you get to the dentist it's not that bad. And then, you know, and then that's it. But we have this, this, we also have this idea with trauma too, like relive trauma. And so if we can have a good process or understanding around suffering or understanding again, that self-awareness where we're in anxiety because we're projecting into the future, some sort of thing, go through this process, see what you can do about it. And then you're mitigating that. And I feel like it's the example of clearing your desktop on the computer, or let's say you get all these softwares up, right? And all these little fears you're not addressing, but it's like, okay, well, write them all out. You're like, oh, there's way too many. There's way too many. There isn't. Write them all down. I bet you you won't get to 50. You know what I mean? So, okay, you got 26 legit fears. All right, one at a time go through that process and you're clearing RAM. Now you're opening up space for intuition, for connection, for creation. And fear is the mind killer. That's an old quote. I have no idea where it originates. And it's so true. Fear is the number one thing that just crushes people's dreams. And so if we can go through our fears and our traumas, analyze them, be able to clear that data, say, okay, accept it. Now we have all this open space for inspiration, for design and for creation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's something physically powerful about physically writing it down, right? Don't just think through the fears, physically write them down, make them real, look at them and then work on them as you say, and then do that bucket. Hey, is this something I have zero control over? Okay. Let me go put it in this pile. Like, let let me take that off my working memory at all. Is this something I control? Great. Let me start exercising control of it. Is it something I influence? Okay. Let me develop a plan to start influencing that. But you can go bucket in in those three. You get a note card for each one, have a stack and just start working through them. Yeah. I love it. Man, well, this has been jam-packed full of practical wisdom, which is my absolute favorite. But I want to make sure, is there anything that I that you'd like to ch- talk about that we missed about in the book, like a topic that you want to cover or anything else you want to leave the listeners with before we close it? Yeah. So, I, I mean, the book is structured. It's kind of got these three groups that we can rent to or from, right? Other people, very obvious one, the events or circumstances outside our control, and then different or imagined versions of ourselves. Oh, the grass will be greener when I retire, or when I get this done, et cetera, right? And it, it takes you through why it is and the solutions for it. But out of all those exercises, I've pulled them out into a free PDF of a workbook. So if there are people that are interested in just the practice, right, just the exercises on my website, it's a a free download um, that you're able to access if you you don't want to go through the whole book. That's awesome. Well, where do people uh, find you if they want to read your book, if they want to learn about more, if they want to stay in touch, where do they go? Yeah. So my website is M, my first name is Michael, M andrewmcconnell.com that has uh, where you can get the book. It has the the free PDF download. It has getting on the newsletter. I have a blog. I put up new stuff every week uh, on a lot of these concepts. And then if you, you want to continue the conversation, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Connect with me there. I'm on Twitter, on Instagram. It's always M. Andrew McConnell or M. A. McConnell, some variation thereof. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for writing the book and putting this out there. I invite people to go check it out. The worksheets are something I'm interested in because I always wanted a practical process. So I'll probably check those out myself, but thanks a lot for coming on the show and uh, thanks everybody for watching. Thanks, Matt. My pleasure. See you later. Peace. 
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Andrew McConnell. I hope that you enjoyed that show as much as I did. I love it when we dive into practical philosophy. I love Stoicism. It is a very uh, practical way to view the world, to not ignore all these challenges and hardships, but come up with a very powerful perspective around it. So if you like this show, please share it far and wide. Uh, if you want to reach out to me personally, just matt at zenathlete.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to leave a review or become a member, Matt Bell com has all the links and that's it i just appreciate you guys so very much wishing you all the best let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this show wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly filling every cell muscle and fiber of your being with joy peace contentment faith courage empowerment and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day thank you so much for listening and i'll see you in the next episode